I have this friend, his name is Kyle. He actually worked here for about a year. Does anybody here know Kyle, Kyle Sharon? Anybody? Yep. So um, Kyle, one time he called me up, like he's just crazy. One time he called me up when I was in college and he's like out of breath. And he's like, hey man, uh, I just want to let you know I won the Price is Right. I was like, what? He's like, I just won everything. Like I won the Price is Right. And sure enough, like we watched like two months later and he'd won the entire thing of Price is Right. And it was just part, of, it, it like fits in his life. Like he's always doing crazy things. And um, he, so he worked here at the church for about a year. And it was at a time when I was in high school, I was kind of um, done with church, kind of bitter, uh, not really interested in, in getting involved with a lot of things. And Kyle was somebody that I owe a lot to because his philosophy of ministry was really not like, hey, like we need to make sure we have the best curriculum or we need to make sure we have the best programs and events. He simply just spent time with me, no strings attached. Like he was like, hey, I just want to hang out with you. I was like, yeah, but like, why? Like, and he was like, I don't know, let's just, let's just hang out. And so while he worked here, I would just show up to, you know, the manor house where, where the church offices used to be, or I'd show up to his apartment, um, and we would just hang out. And uh, I remember one time they had made this water balloon launcher, and so he wanted to shoot off um, golf balls with firecrackers, like, attached to them. <laughs> and so... Uh, he went to like launch this thing and he let go of it, but the golf ball was too small to like to release, like it got stuck in the, the pouch. And so it came back and it like hit him like right in the stomach. And he was like, Ugh! like on the ground, like if you've seen like the grape lady video, like that was the sound where it's just all the, the, everything like inside of him was just like, oh, and, um, and then you hear this firecracker beside him go like, kah, kah, kah. Um, and it was really funny. Um, <laughs> and it's funny as I look back because uh, I, because of Kyle, I ended up going to college and studying youth ministry and and you go to these classes and they talk about all these philosophies of ministry and all these things, all these things you have to do and you make sure you do it this way and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I almost kind of got a big head thinking, oh, this is, this is how you're supposed to do it. And, and, um, and it's wild because after, you know, six years of youth ministry, realizing the most effective ministry I've seen was Kyle in my life simply just hanging out with me and just being around me. And in those times of hanging out and in those times of just being around each other, having conversations and, and discipleship happening as life happened, I got so caught up in, in oh, I got to make sure I have the right curriculum, the best events, the best programs, and realizing the best ministry that you can have is simply being around people, loving them. And in that, conversations will happen. Discipleship will happen. It reminds me of in John 1.14, talks about Jesus, it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. Another translation says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word there, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, carne, like carne asada, flesh. And that's where we get the word incarnational. And that's, that's what we're talking about today. Last week, Turner did a great job talking about incarnational ministry, kind of breaking down the X's and O's of what it means to be incarnational. And today what we're going to talk about is how practically can we be 
incarnational. How practically can we be incarnational? So we're going to jump right into this. There's four different things that I want you to remember. And after each of these, I'm going to give really practical steps so that we as a church can be incarnational, can embrace the sort of ministry that isn't just about the right curriculum or learning the right things or having the right head knowledge, but simply being present with the people that God wants us to have, um, wants us to be on mission with. And so the very first thing uh, in your notes there, if you're using the app, the very first thing that we need to embrace if we want to be incarnational is contact. Contact. I got this word from, from Young Life. Some of you guys have Young Life background. They always talk about contact work, which means being around the teens that you want to have ministry with. So it's being at the football games and, and you know, having lunches and all this kind of stuff instead of sitting and planning and being in an office, contact work, being around the people that you actually want to minister to. Um, there's this guy named Michael Frost, and I saw this video where he talked about 1 Corinthians 8, when Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, hey, regarding the question about eating food that is sacrificed by idols, and it's kind of strange as you read through it, because you're like, what? Like, we don't really deal with that a whole lot. Um, we, we don't field a lot of questions in the Connect card like, hey, what, what's your stance on food sacrificed to idols? Um, this guy, he talked about how in the Church of Corinth, like the, it was this big question. And why it was this big question is because back in that day, the way that things worked was you would basically, um, there'd be like these almost networking groups of, of uh, a trade you know, let's say it's blacksmith. So you have all these blacksmiths that come together and it's this kind of networking event like we kind of have today. And they're all, you know, talking amongst each other. And in these groups, at the beginning, there would always be somebody that would sacrifice a goat or a sheep to the god of whatever that trade was, to the god of blacksmithing. You know, and they would sacrifice this sheep. And then they have this dead sheep that, you know, they're like, what do we do with this? So they would sell it to a butcher. The butcher would, you know, do whatever a butcher does. And someone would go to the butcher and buy, you know, basically that meat. And that was just common practice. And so the question was, hey, if somebody invites us over to their house and they serve us sheep or goat or whatever, how are we supposed to know whether or not that sheep or goat had been sacrificed to an idol? And it was this weird thing of like, hey, we want to be able to eat with other people, but like that's real awkward to sit down and they bring the, the meat. And it's like, hey, do you know what butcher this came from? And if it was sacrificed to an idol or not? Because if not, like we brought our own, you know, I, uh, I'm not saying you didn't prepare it right. It's just, you know, just a personal thing. Um, and it was just weird. And, and, and as Paul goes into this, he says, hey, listen, the idols... The gods that they sacrifice to are false. They're not real. So it's not like there's going to be some sort of god of blacksmithing inside this sheep. And the second you bite into it, it like, you know, infests into you and, and all this. He's like, no, like, you, you can go and eat. Be with these people. Just sit and eat. And don't, you don't have to worry about if it's been sacrificed to an idol or not. You can just sit and you can eat. And what I believe that Paul is, is talking about here, the bigger picture, is that God isn't, so, isn't as much wrapped up in whether that food was sacrificed to a false god as he is wrapped up in the heart of the person that's sitting across from you at that table. 
and that God wants to use you to reach that person. And so instead of him saying, ah, I'm mad at him because he's sitting and he's eating that food that was sacrificed to an idol, God's giving the freedom to say, hey, listen, sit and eat and don't worry about it and have a conversation with this person and, and show this person the love that I have for them. It's a much bigger picture. And, and, and what Michael Frost was talking about is how we have this social dislocation, how the church has completely removed itself from culture because we get so wrapped up in, well, can I go this place to shop? Can I go this place to drink? Can I go this place to eat? Can I be around these people? Because I don't want them to think that I support their lifestyle. And what, what Paul is saying here and, and what I believe God is saying is that, listen, you can be engaged in culture and still be the influence that God has called you to be. Michael Frost said, We serve the cosmic Christ, who is God over everything, every place. So don't be scared to go into the world. And I mean all the world. Now Paul talks about, you know, hey, like with the weaker brother, like, you know, so if, if you, there are certain spots that if, if God has made you um, just consciously where you're like I can't go into there or or let's say you you have an addiction to something you probably shouldn't be going into the place where that's um you know very like if you if you have an alcohol addiction a bar probably isn't the place to be like there are certain things like that where I'm not just saying hey just go recklessly out but but don't get so caught up in ooh can I be here and mainly don't get caught up in what will other people think if they see me around these kind of people I remember as a kid, so the Enneagram, I'm a nine. Is anybody a nine on the Enneagram? Anybody? Yeah. My nines were all like, oh, I don't want to disrupt anybody. <laughs> um, the, uh, so like I'm a nine, so like I care a lot about what people think. And um, I remember as a kid, I got two birthday invites, which as a nine, I'm like, people love me, Yay. And, um, and then I look, and it's on the same day, like around the same time, at the same place. I'm like, oh, no. Like, what am I going to do? Um, because I want to go to both parties, but I want both people to think that I love them completely the same, you know? And these two people didn't know each other. So, like, my mom was like, yeah, just go. And then when the other party, it's the same place. So it was like a place, you know, where it's like moon bounces and all this kind of stuff. And, and my mom had, like, talked to, you know, both parents and said, hey, like, you know, he's going to start off at this party and then he's going to join the other one. Not a big deal. But in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I start off like one hour bouncing around. The other party starts and they like all have these kids like in a line and they're like walking them to like the party room. So I just file into that line and then I see like the other kids from the other party and they're like pointing at me like, wait, he joined the wrong party. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like in my mind, I had so much pressure and stress and anxiety. And it was just this thing of like, oh man, like, can I be part of both parties? Like what in the world? And um, I think that's how we feel like as Christians. Like, ah, I've got all these unsaved people and they do some kind of bad stuff. But then I also have these church friends and like, I don't know if I can hang out with them because I don't want my church friends to see me and think I'm part of the wrong party. Like, what do I do? And, and, and with being incarnational, I want you to know that you have the freedom God's given you the freedom to be around the people that God has given you a heart for. He's given you that freedom. So don't get so caught up in, oh, what will, now that I'm following Christ, or now that, you know, will my church friends, what will they think? I remember talking to a friend one time that I was really good friends with in college, and 
he found this awesome community at, at, at this church, but he was saying, man, I'm kind of torn because I've got these friends over here that, that are my old friends that like I used to hang out with and, and they're not saved. And I have this other group of friends though that I've just started hanging out with that are church people. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm learning more about God, but what do I do? And, and I remember talking to him and saying, man, like a true biblical community is one that is, is around believers. So you have that strong base, but it's, it's based on mission. So everybody in that community is like, you know what? We are going to reach the people God has called us to reach. So you're going you're gonna to have a group of believers that's strong and solid and is your base, but you guys are all on mission, meaning that you guys are all rubbing shoulders and around people that aren't believers. And so it's that both and, it's not an either or. I remember, um, you know, in my own life, that same guy, Kyle, you know, he, he, he would just get himself in the weirdest stuff. And like one time he was like, hey, I started a band and we're going to be on Warp Tour. And I was like, what? Like you started your band like a month ago. He's like, yeah, I know, crazy, right? And um, so they're going on, they were traveling the entire country on Warp Tour. Now, if you have not been to Warp Tour, it is not, um, it's not Creation Fest or anything like that. Like there's... Some pretty bad people. Um, and so I remember thinking, though, like I, was, I went to a, a Christian university, and I remember thinking, and I'd just been accepted to be on this, like, student leadership, um, you know, they called it, like, a, a spiritual life director. And I remember Kyle called me up. He's like, hey, I want you to be our merch guy, because I'd done this, like, merch video. And um, he's like, I want you to be our merch guy. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I could travel the whole country for free, actually get paid for it. And then really be around a lot of these bands that like, I, I really liked. It's like, that'd be so cool. And then I thought, like, ah, oh, shoot, I'm a spiritual life director. And all these people would just totally judge me because I'd be in this environment where, um, like, and I was like, ah, I should probably just intern for the church. And that's what I did because I was so wrapped up in what other people thought. And I think back, man, I probably, if I really would have embraced it and like, actually been um, incarnational, I would have realized, listen, God is everywhere. And he's, he's at Warp Tour. He's in the church. He's, he's everywhere. And so not getting so wrapped up in what other people think of me if I hang out with people that aren't like them. And so for some of you, I just, I want you to release that burden of there are people that God wants you to reach and they need Jesus. But don't be so caught up in what people will think of you or if they will judge you if you're hanging out with those people or even some of the different environments that you might find yourself in. Matthew eleven nineteen, it says this. It says, The Son of Man, Jesus, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. You see, with Jesus... The church people, the, the, the Pharisees, they're saying, oh, Jesus, he's, he's eating and drinking and he's with the tax collectors and he's with, in another verse, we'll see they call them scum. He's hanging out with scum. And they were just judging Jesus on what he was doing and who he was around. And if we're following Jesus, I believe that gives us the freedom to be incarnational, to be in different environments, to just be around people and not have that stress and that pressure of, oh, you can't be in that environment. So I want to ask you, are you around people who don't believe like you on a consistent basis? 
Are you around people who don't believe like you on a consistent basis? So super practical. First off is like, man, you, you might think, ah, well, my, my time is all, like I don't have any more time to give to being incarnational. And what I want to say is like, we all have things that everybody has to do. We all have to eat. We all have to, if you have kids, you have all the events that you have to do. If you're in school, you've got school, you know, you've got something to stay active, walking, going to the gym, whatever it is. We all have different things that we have to do, going to work. And what I would suggest is think about how can I leverage these to be incarnational? Instead of saying, oh, I got to get through this and this and this and this, think maybe this is the mission that God has given me and my everyday life is actually a, a spot that I can be incarnational, that I can be Jesus to the people around me. If you're only in environments where you're just around believers, super practical, I would say, hey, start to expand your circle. Start to actually be around people that don't believe like you. And it might start small, like, oh, I'm going to start going to a gym that is uh, a heathen gym. I don't know. But, <laughs> but like, get around different people. Get around different environments. And if that means less church activity, I'm fine with it. I'll sign a note for you if you need it. I don't, I don't know. But, like, get around people. Get a biblical community that's based on mission. So they're not just going to demand all of your time, but they're going to be pumped for you when you are in different environments. Um, another super practical thing, accept invitations. When you're invited to weddings and happy hours, meals at people's homes, when your spouse has a work party, say, hey, I want to go to that. And I know this is, if you're introverted, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. But like, I believe that God would really, is really going to use that. In my six years I've been here at the church, the greatest ministry that I've had has been in those little pocket environments that have had nothing to do with the church, church activity. It's actually been going to, you know, like a, like a Christmas, a work Christmas party. You know, those are the environments that kind of are exciting because you see, man, God can use you in these environments like crazy. Um, so the first thing is contact. Second is conversations conversations. Who here, has anybody read anything from Malcolm Gladwell? Anybody? Yeah, look him up. He's like super smart. Um, he's like, he'll be like, um, so let's talk about this, right? Uh, so, and he's just super, like super smart. And I'll watch him and I'll be like, I'm a genius. And then I try to tell people what he said. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, he's super smart though, but he has this book called The Tipping Point. And in The Tipping Point, he um, has the story of this lady named Georgia Sadler who had a huge uh, passion for people, uh, the African-American community of San Diego, and she, she had a huge passion for them to understand and have a, a um, knowledge about diabetes and breast cancer and how to um, prevent and, and just having awareness of it. And so her first thing was, you know what, I'm going to go to the churches. And she thought, I'm going to have these different kind of um, uh, sessions at the church where people in the community can come and they can hear about how to prevent diabetes, how to prevent breast cancer, how to um, know if, if you're you know, having the symptoms, how to help your family. And she was having them in these churches. But what she was seeing is that the same 20 people were showing up over and over and over, and it was the same people that had the knowledge about diabetes and breast cancer. 
And so what she decided to do, because she realized, listen, if we just have this amazing message and we're waiting for people to come and hear this message and we're waiting for them to come to us, it's not going to happen. But we have to get this message out. So what she did is she went to the, uh, the hairstylist of the community. And she knew, okay, the hairstylist will have these ladies for eight hours and they're going to have conversations. So instead of me being the expert and waiting for people to come to me at a, at a single location, what if I give the message to the hairstylist and she trained them on breast cancer and diabetes and how to infuse that into conversations? She'd have little um, stickers on the, on the mirrors that would have different information about it. And it would start these conversations. And all of a sudden, it was the tipping point. They started to see... Uh, that community be changed because they took the message and they gave it to the people in simple conversation. I believe that the church, just like that, if we keep the message here and say, hey, we've got one expert that you can come and you can listen to, our community is not going to be changed. But if you are trained in conversation and how to infuse Jesus into conversation in a way that's not weird, I believe that's how we're going to change our community. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everybody. You see, we need to learn how to have conversations, not just sales pitches. We need to learn to be experts in conversation, knowing how to have conversations with people and then be ourselves and infuse Jesus into a conversation in a way that's not weird. Hugh Halter, he says this, Jesus shows us that there's never a change of mind unless there's a change of heart. And there will never be a change of heart without a conversation between trusted friends. Um, you know, I believe that if we really want to be incarnational, we have to have this ability to have conversations and the ability to become friends with people that don't believe like us and to have conversations about things that we might disagree with and for us to actually be able to do that in a healthy manner. We as a country are so divided. And the lie that's, that's in everything right now is if someone doesn't believe like you, one, that it's a, it's a character issue and you, you shouldn't be around them, but two, that you can't have a conversation about it. And it's, it's driving our, our country apart and it's driving the church apart because it is keeping us from people that God wants us to be friends with, wants us to have conversations with, but we're like, well, if they don't agree with this, then I can't even talk to them. And that's not true. It's not true. You know, to create good conversations, we have to be humble and we have to be good listeners. I was watching Shark Tank the other day, and um, uh, Mark Cuban, there was, I can't re even remember what it was, but they kept asking questions, and they kept just going back into their sales pitch and all this, and, and Mark Cuban just stopped him. He's like, stop. He said, stop selling and start listening. And I thought, man, that's, that's really important for the church. Stop selling and start listening. Actually listen to somebody's story. Sit down and listen, and, and, and don't feel like you have to butt in and correct and say, oh, theologically, that's not correct. Like, we don't have to do that. Like, we can just sit and listen to someone's story and be good listeners. That's why Alpha, there's some, some small groups out there, and I would suggest if you haven't been through Alpha, you should totally do it. And the best way that Alpha runs, it's this, it's this video um, curriculum that, where you sit down, you have a meal, you watch these videos that are really well done, and, and you sit and you just simply have conversations and you talk. 
And the way that it's best run is when, when you bring people that don't believe in Jesus, but have a, just a, 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 an intrigue or an interest in the spiritual, in, in God, and you sit and you just have conversations. But we have to learn to listen and be good at conversation. Um, you know, it's kind of like a manual, you know, who here can, can drive stick shift? Anybody? Wow, a lot. I can't, so I'm going to depend on you guys if I, like I watch Amazing Race a lot, and um, every time there's like a, it's a stick shift, and I was like, well, I'd be done. Um, I could be like hours ahead of people, but just in first gear trying to like go through the Alps. Um, so stick shift, manuals, the, you know, there's typically how many gears? Five, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, let's pretend there's six gears. So, so the Absaloms, uh, this, this couple that um, help us talk with us, like as a church staff, they, they talk about the six gears of conversation. And, and they say it's like a stick shift where you go from one to the next to the next to the next. And you can't go from one to six. You go through and you, you go through these gears and if maybe you go too, too high of a gear, you might need to go back. But they say there's six gears of conversation. Number one is casual. Casual. So that's, you know, the weather, the sports, the, you know, just regular small talk, just, you know, everyday life. The second is meaningful. Meaningful. This is where you peel back the, you know, well, what's it on Shrek? Ogres are like onions. Um... <laughs> The, that's kind of like what, what this is with conversations as you, you peel back, you know, the next is meaningful, which is where you kind of ask them about their family, about their story, um, about their emotions, about their passions, you know, it just goes, it goes a little further into the meaningful. The third is the spiritual, spiritual, and now this is not the salvation conversation. This isn't, hey, if you were to die right now, where would you go? Is it Jesus? Um, no, it's, Talking about God, good and evil, restoration, hope. You're getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and you can have a conversation with somebody and, and talk about the spiritual, about, hey, there's got to be an explanation for all of this, and, and to jump into some of those things. And, and when, when you feel like they're you know, really engaging with you, then you can shift to the next gear, which is the salvation conversation, which is, hey, like, for me, the thing that I've found to be the only reason that all this is, is put together and that we are here is Jesus. And having that conversation about Jesus and, and walking them through, this is what it means to follow Jesus and to actually receive that salvation in your life. And then the next is maturity, so discipleship growing in that. And then the next is leadership. So, so as they're being discipled, teaching them, hey, this is how you lead. This is how you live your life. And so... Um, what you'll see there is there's six gears of conversation. So you, when you're sitting and talking with somebody, don't just go to gear four, say, hey, you right now, where would you go if you died right now? If a meteor hit you right now, like we always go so extreme, like a meteor came down and you're in flames, where would you go? Like, no, like that's weird. Like you're going from zero to, to, to the fourth gear. Go from one to two to three to four and and. and have normal conversations, but as you realize, okay, this person is really engaging in this, then shift to the next gear. And, and there's a, a red light, yellow light, green light. If somebody is like, you know, you're trying to have a meaningful conversation, you're like, hey, tell me about your family. And they're like, 
no, forget you, bud. Like, don't be like, hey, let's go to the spiritual gear. Uh, what do you, like, there will be clues and, and things that show, hey, they're, they're open to the next thing. And what you might have to do is shift down and say, you know what, we're going to stay in the meaningful for a little bit before we go into the spiritual. And this isn't all in the, in the, the thing of like, this is my conversation with this person. It's 15 minutes, so I need to get to gear six by the end of this thing. No, this is saying, as I am talking with people and have relationships with them, I need to um, gauge, okay, maybe we have casual conversation five times and it's small talk at the, at the water cooler, you know? But then as you get to know them, then you go into meaningful. And then, like, it's, it's us as believers knowing, just like it says here in Colossians 4, to make our conversation attractive, gracious and attractive. And understanding how to bring Jesus into conversations. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23 says, Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So it's saying, hey, I find common ground with everybody. That means the, the, the casual and the meaningful, you're able to connect on those levels to where you, where, where you start friendships. And so super practical, who in your life are you in gear one and you need to shift up to gear two or gear three that might be open to more conversation? And then on the flip side of that, do you need to shift down and learn how to small talk? Some of us only know how to talk to believers, and then when we're around a believer or an unbeliever, we get all weird, and it's like, ah, I got shift four to the fourth gear, and like when we, and it's like the 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 clutch is like just saying, hey, chill. Like you've got to learn how to have small talk first. So learn how do I find the things that we have common ground with. Can I ask them about their kids? Can I ask them about sports? Can I ask them about, you know, and use those things to develop friendships to where there's a trust to then you can talk about the spiritual. Um, the third thing, this is real quick. Uh, real quick. I'm great at conversation. Um, real quick. The third thing is classify. And this kind of goes under conversation, but the third is classify. What it means to classify is, is to take something and to basically organize it to say, you know, like scientists do, hey, we're going to classify this because it has, um, like, we're going to classify this beetle. But um, many times people are experiencing something that they don't even know is God's design in them or his pursuit of them. And they need you to be able to say, hey, actually, that's God in you. Actually, that's his pursuit of you. That's his restoration taking place. Help to classify these things. So the one is the image of God. Genesis 1.27, where God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. James 3.9, we see it again, that we're made in the image of God. So call out ways in people that you see God in them. You don't have to, from the get-go, say, that's the image of God in you. No, but you can say, hey, I really like the way that you love your kids. Man, I can tell there's something just naturally in you that just makes you just love them. Or like, hey, I, your work ethic is amazing. I can tell there's something in you that just, I can tell you just love to work hard. Or like, man, I, I love that you're passionate about justice. And then as you get deeper into those conversations, be like, I honestly, I think that that's God. I believe he created you and that he's, he's made you in his image. And he's written some things on your heart that are actually from him. 
to be able to help people see the image of God, no matter what their background is, the image of God, I believe, is in every person. The second is the restoration of Jesus, helping people see the restoration of Jesus in everything. John 1, 3 through 5 says, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. We see that we've talked about this kingdom theology. God is bringing everything back to perfect order. He, is trying to re- he wants to restore everything. And there's a lot in this world that's, that's been you know, shifted and moved because of sin. And God, not just personal salvation, but everything, he wants to bring back to restoration. Um, I had this car. It was a Volvo. It had like 220,000 miles on it. And it started leaking. And... Someone told me, hey, this is the thermostat housing. So I said, okay, I can, I can fix this myself. Um, and so I bought one online, and I go, and, and it looks like I repaired it. I'm like, sweet, I did this thing. Like, this is amazing. And I poured in the coolant, and you could hear it like, glug, 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 glug. and like literally my driveway was just like coolant like everywhere. So I like made it worse than it was before. Um, so I was like, I got to sell this thing. But it was like crazy overheating because like the coolant wasn't working. And so I live in Round Hill and I was like, I need to take this thing to CarMax. So I was driving and every like five minutes I'd like pull over, let it cool down. Finally, like I pull this thing in and the guy was like, well, you, you could probably get it to appraise more if you like maybe took it and took it. I'm like, no, just I just want it sold. And he's like, how much do you think you'll, this thing's going to sell for? And I was like, a hundred bucks. He's like, ah, I bet it's more than that. And um, it was like 200 And I was like, yep. <laughs> He's like, oh, maybe you're right. But um, the one guy I was talking to, I was just asking him about like, what he's doing. He's in school. I was asking about what he's studying. And, um, and he said, you know what? I'm really passionate about helping businesses be environmentally conscious. And I believe that you know, I want to help the, help the people um, uh, with the environment as far as like, helping, helping businesses be more conscious of that. And um, in that conversation, I just said, hey, I, I really think that you're doing God's work. I think God wants to restore everything back to where it was originally. And I believe you're doing God's work. I believe that your passion for the environment and for the world is from God. And, and I just kind of left it with that. And, um, and it was cool because like probably a couple of years ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand that that can be a godly conversation and a way to bring the restoration of Jesus into a conversation. Because the only thing in my mind before was like, well, I need to get to his personal salvation. How do I do that? How do I bridge the gap? And a lot of times it's in bringing God into everything. So God wants to restore everything. And so when people talk about the evil of this world or, or even family conflict or whatever, as you get into these conversations, you can classify those things and say, man, this is, this is all part of God's restoration as he wants to bring everything back to him. Um, so super practical, when you, when you see a news story or something in the news, just to train yourself to see how is, what does this mean on the, on the big spectrum of the kingdom and, and heaven on earth and, and God restoring everything back to original order. Anytime you come across a news story, whether it be good or bad, think through what does this mean about the kingdom and the life, the way that God intends it. Like Andrew Luck, he just retired from the NFL after, you know, he's 29, I think. And it's because of injuries, and he's just worn down. He's worn down, like, mentally, physically. And so 
thinking, okay, what does this mean about the kingdom of God? Oh, he, mentally he is worn down. Physically he's worn down. He's got injuries. His body is not restored. There will be a day where God restores everything. Mentally, with us, with our, with our mental health, God wants to restore everything and he is the only way that we will find joy and peace and comfort and strength. So in everything that we hear, just picking up, okay, what does this mean about the restoration of God, classifying those things. And the last thing that we want to talk about when it comes to being incarnational is celebration and communion. Celebration and communion. There are two things that Jesus did a lot. He went to celebrations and parties, and he ate meals with people a lot. And around both of these, these things, just parties and meals, you see these massive world-changing conversations. A lot of times we'll read through a parable or a story and we don't even realize that the context of it was a party or a meal. In John 2, we see that the very first miracle that Jesus did was turning water into wine. He was at a wedding celebration. In Luke 5, we see that when he called Levi to be his disciple, Levi held a banquet, it says, in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. It says many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, which back in that day they were like just they were like the worst of the worst. And other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. He says, why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's what they said about Jesus. Why, do you, why is Jesus eating with such scum? We see that Jesus was putting himself into environments of celebration and communion. Saying, you know what, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be around parties. I'm going to be at banquets. I'm going to be sharing meals with people. And so with you, I want you to think through how can you have more parties in your life? And now some of you guys, you're just thinking like, like frat party and you're like, what? Why do I want to? No, like that's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how do you bring people into celebration of of. of just us being humans and just being able to laugh and share stories and just sharing that, that, that common bond of, of the common ground that, that Paul is talking about. How can you do that more in your life? Because Jesus did it. He was around the parties and around the banquets and around the meals and always around people that, that church people would say, That's, those people are scum, you shouldn't be around them. And Jesus was around them. So in your life, how can you see that more where you're at more parties? You have more parties at your house. Now, I'm not saying it has to be 100 people. It could be six people around Settlers of Catan. It can be Monday night football. You have people over at your house. You, females, I don't know what you guys connect with, but something that you guys would connect with. But bring people around and, 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 and expand your circles. So people at your work, people in your neighborhood, and, and think creatively through this. Um, the Absaloms, the same, the same ones that taught us about the six gears of conversation, they talked about how when, when you know, last year when back to school was happening, they went to their entire neighborhood and they said, hey, like their kids are out of school, but they said, hey, we want you guys to bring your kids to our, um, to our house, like to just our backyard. We're, we're going to have a barbecue, but like mainly what we want to do is we just want to pray over your kids and their school year. And they saw all, they had like 30 families show up. And obviously not all of them are Christian. 
And, and 30 families showed up and they, and they lined these kids up and they, and they went down the line and said, hey, what do you want God to help you with this school year? They said they went down and, and kids are saying, man, I, I just need help with my locker combination. And then next, he said one of them was like, I just, I just don't want to eat alone. And like all of a sudden, like the, God, the, 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 the depth of life starts to come to the surface. And then he said, instead, he's like, instead of me praying over everybody, I just said, hey, I just want to open it up for us to pray a prayer blessing over, over this school year. He said all these people started praying, and he's like, they, the prayers weren't 100% theologically correct. He's like, but that's not the issue. He's like, they, we were bringing them into basically seeing that God wants a relationship with them, bringing them closer to Jesus. And I thought that was so cool. So practically, think through, okay, how can I creatively create environments where we just have people around and together and, and in that, find ways for us to have conversation and connection about what Jesus wants to do in their life. So, um, you know, here's the thing. Before we bring people to Jesus, a lot of times we must bring Jesus to people. Before we bring people to Jesus, we must bring Jesus to people. Because here's the thing. We, every single one of us, we're at a point where we did not... Um, just actively turn to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. It says that every one of us went astray. So every one of us had our back turned to God. And, and we're at a point where we didn't want a relationship with him. We, we might have been coming to church, but it's not like we're, we're stepping foot into a relationship with God. And what, what I believe that we should do as being incarnational Christians, following the example of Jesus being made flesh, is that we need to bring Jesus to people. Find environments that they will show up to. It might not be a church service, but create an environment, and then when they're there, bring Jesus to them. Be the love that those people need to see. And I believe that you can do this in your life. God wants to use you. You might think, I'm not a pastor. Man, I don't even, I, don't, I have my doubts. I don't, I'm not even 100% like sure about all this. I firmly believe that God wants to use you for the restoration of the world, for bringing people closer to him. Having simple conversations, having the ability to bring people around and celebrate and have communion and have meals. Practically, God wants to use you. He wants to use you. And the people you know aren't the people that I know. So that means that, that God wants to use you to reach those people. So as we pray here, I just, I just want to challenge you to think through how can I be more incarnational and feel the release and the freedom of I can be in these environments and not worry about people judging me and people, you know, saying things about me. Because here's the thing, if, if people are saying things about you in that way, they did the same thing about Jesus. So you're probably headed in the right direction. So let's pray. Dear Father, God, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you pursued us, that you became flesh and you dwelt among us. Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that's incarnational. God, that, that takes you to people and not just sit and wait for people to show up here. God, I pray for the people that are a little nervous, God, they, they, even socially, God, I just pray that you would give us courage and strength go into environments that we don't initially feel comfortable in just because 
around people we don't know. God, I pray that you'd give us supernatural strength, supernatural courage. Jesus, I pray for the people in here that, that when we talk about you pursuing them, that God, that, that you're knocking on their heart right now. They haven't began a relationship with you. They've been seeking that joy and that strength and that peace in every other way. And they might be just trying themselves to be good enough to get to you. But Lord, you became flesh and you came here. And you want a relationship with them. I pray for that person right now, Lord, just right here in this moment. That they would just pray this, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price that I could never pay. Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm giving you my life. In your name I pray, amen.